Safer safe. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. Sexual health. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the 2018 proposal to ban the sale and use of poppers in Australia. This ban was proposed by the Therapeutic Goods Administration, which is part of the Australian Government Department of Health and more commonly referred to as the TGA. The TGA gets to decide what can be sold for therapeutic purposes in Australia. The TGA's proposal to ban poppers was met with strong resistance, particularly from the gay community. I have two guests joining me today who were instrumental in the campaign to stop the TGA's poppers ban, Steve Spencer and Daniel Readers. So a really fun contrast between Daniel and I <laughs> is that Daniel's the really, really smart one. <laughs> and, um, and I'm more of the practical one. So uh, Daniel always have very good, good, good responses. Yeah. But I'll just tell you how fun it is. <laughs> but Daniel, I'm sure, also knows how fun it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So for me, it started when I got con- I was contacted by someone from the Canberra Times, um, and they keep they keep tabs really well on different legislation, on different, um, different proposals, different administrations, different departments, and they noticed that um, a change to poppers was coming up. This amendment to um, the Poisons Act to uh, that, rega- that related to poppers or amyl nitrates, and um, I've got a, a tattoo of an ammo bottle on my chest, um, which for some reason has become one of my personality traits. And so for some reason, a journalist at the Canberra Times knew that I had this tattoo <laughs> and thought I might have something to say about it. And so they contacted me and I thought, wow, like, like I shouldn't just be giving you a comment. I should be actually making, doing something about this. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's when I first became aware of it. And then... Um, we got it in the papers and got that shirtless photo with my tattoo on there and um, I was sort of trying to test the waters initially to see if anyone really cared about it so I put it on social media and a lot of people were sort of like oh you know a bit, bit blase about it and, and I sort of felt like for a while that I was yelling at the clouds for a bit um, and then it was when um, more details of it came out and that it was going to be listed essentially as a class A substance, so up there with really with really dangerous and misused drugs like cocaine and, and methamphetamines. And it's that, that that's what really started causing the outrage because it actually made it obvious to people that that little bottle in their top drawer in their, in their house could get them in serious, serious legal trouble. Mm. Yeah, so I first learned about it when I saw that article um, and I just thought, this is so dumb. Like, of all the health issues that we need to be grappling with at the moment, promotion of PrEP, promotion of U equals U, challenging HIV stigma, it's like, this is going to be on our agenda as activists for the next 12 or 18 months, and I cannot believe that it's going to be this thing. Um, when I kind of looked into it, I discovered... Uh, moving poppers to Schedule 9, based on the social research 
that, that would have made about 90,000 gay, bisexual and other queer people criminals pretty much overnight. And we looked at the, the kinds of punishment that you could get for that. And in the ACT in the Northern Territory, that could be um, up to five years in prison and potentially a $75,000 fine. So we kind of acknowledge that there are some health concerns that needed to be addressed, particularly around vision loss, um, but that was just such a disproportionate response to it. So yeah, my response was, thank God Steve has helped put this on the agenda, and I went into full-on policy Hulk smash mode, yeah, just anger. It felt a bit weird couching that in therapeutic terms, like making bottoming seem like this <laughs> thing that needs medical assistance, but that was the kind of approach that made it possible for them to hear what we were saying. And there were really simple arguments to get that point across as well. And when I was trying to get um, support from the community to, you know, some people will just go, oh, well, you know, it's just a, you know, you can do without it. And I'm like, well, look, Viagra is a very dangerous drug and that's prescribed, that's endorsed by the TGA. So if Viagra can be offered to tops, why can't poppers be offered to bottoms? Why can't we legitimize our sexual experience like tops can legitimize their sexual experience? So it's really not a foreign concept at all, but we just had to apply it to this new... You know, it's not new, but to we had to get it into the system in a legitimate way. Well, the campaign was multi-pronged, um, so I can talk about my side of it. So I had the petition going online and we got a few thousand signatures and that was sent off to the TGA and to the health minister um, just to really show that there are many, many people that are against this and really can't see the sense in them trying to ban it and also just laying out in simple terms for the community why it is important and sort of once you explain to you know use the viagra story or explain to them in different ways um, people get really motivated and so there was a huge social media movement as well there were, um, we had run a protest at taylor square um, it was raining so not as many people turned up but we had lots of media there so that was all right and um just pretty much my side of it was kicking up a fuss getting it into as many news outlets as possible um vice did a mini documentary on it um, and so they, they covered that really well and sort of just getting it into everyone's minds that this is happening um, and how silly it is. Um, I was talking to uh, people in politics. Um, I got them talking, I got La the Labour Party talking about it um, just to make sure that not only that we had all, all, our, all our ground covered beforehand, but also just in case we weren't lucky um, we were sort of preparing for what would happen next. And so we wanted to make sure make sure politicians knew that there would be consequences and that we wouldn't actually be letting this down. Mm. So I pulled together what we called the Nitride Action Group, and that was a, <clears throat> a group of friends. Um, Great Paul, well. Yeah, NAG. NAG. <laughs> yeah, um, well, we regret not calling it the Animal Nitride Action League. <laughs> <laughs> However, so we put this together it was with Paul Kidd who's a criminal lawyer in Victoria and a long time HIV activist and he had led the campaign to overturn Section 19A which was the, the crime that applied to people with HIV in Victoria 
uh, Dr. Vincent Cornelis, who everyone will know as a sexual health superstar. Um, he's a doctor now at the Crichton United Centre. Um, Professor Kane Race from University of Sydney, who studies the kind of role that drugs play in queer culture, particularly in Sydney. Um, and a friend of mine who's a master's in public health, Julian Nguyen, um, who really helped us a lot with the marshalling the research evidence in support of our proposal. So when we put in our proposal, a couple of weeks after that, the TGA contacted Vincent and that made me smile because they, they were kind of, they felt comfortable talking to the doctor in the group. Um, <laughs> and he, as a paid-up member of the HIV response, said, look, you can't do this without a community member present. So uh, they contacted me and invited us both to present to them in Canberra. And when they spoke to me on the phone, literally the first thing they said is, they were concerned that people might think they were homophobic. And I knew then, right, the work that Steve is doing has actually reached the TTA. They have got the message that this is making them look terrible, but it's calling into question their attitudes towards a vulnerable community and their engagement with that community. So it was really clear that um, the work Steve had done had kind of laid the way for us to come in and talk to them in that kind of more technical language led by a GP in that approach that's worked with the HIV response for so long. I'm curious to hear more about the process of advocating for changes within the TGA. So, uh, so that was the initial meeting. Uh, mm. How did that play out after that? Well, that meeting was really interesting. Um, the initial proposal had treated amyl as if it's just a dangerous chemical and with a chemical like bleach you don't kind of ask if there's any cultural or personal benefit from inhaling a good whiff of bleach. <laughs> so that process doesn't think about benefits and purpose and value at all. So that was our first goal. We wanted to get the TTA to acknowledge this should be treated like a medicine. It's something that it has risks but it also has really important benefits. So following that first submission, they did start treating it like a medicine. They invited us to present to them. And it's a committee of like toxicologists and pathologists. There's, there's no one from a public health or a community perspective at all. So we went in, we presented to them on how you use animal and kind of its cultural meaning and the benefit you get during sex and their eyes were rolling back in their heads like this was just not something that they were used to talking about <laughs> across a committee table. <laughs> but that also made it clear they didn't understand how ammo was used. So we showed them a picture of someone just holding the little bottle up to his nose and they kind of went, oh, right. So we thought you just opened it and it all evaporated into the room. So by going there and by being there in person and showing them this stuff, it helped them understand there isn't really an overdose potential. And it was after that meeting that they announced they were suspending the process. They were going to hold further consultation with the communities, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. 
And so I suppose, um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the media, like a bit prior to that, about the, the UK, uh, the, the parliamentarian from the House of Lords. I can't remember yeah, name, yeah. yeah. Uh, who was talking about things that are not use. Like, were they sort of aware of that at the time, or was it? They were, um, and that was when the UK had had a problem for a long time with their um, illicit drug legislation not applying to analogues. So they would say, right, this particular um, formulation of ecstasy is illegal. So chemists would change one atom on that molecule and then it would suddenly illegal again. So they were having this big debate about, right, how can we better control all of these drugs? And amyl was proposed to be included in that. And a very brave queer parliamentarian stood up and said, I use amyl. I've used it for a long time. It's really helpful to me. Um, and as a result of that, the committee overseeing that legislation decided, well, actually, it has an effect on the blood system, therefore it's not really a psychoactive drug. So they kind of found a way out of that. Um, in Australia, that was not so much the issue. They weren't kind of concerned that this is a psychoactive drug, therefore we should ban it. They were aware that there'd been some reports of people suffering vision loss after using animal. And when I say amyl, what I mean is uh, one of the family of chemicals, so a particular one called isopropyl nitrite. Um, and the vision loss was pretty serious. It was people with bright flashing lights in the centre of their vision that lasted pretty much permanently without really any options for treatment. So that was what the TTA was concerned about, and it made this kind of a slightly different advocacy campaign. Um, when amyl was made illegal, poppers switched over to a different chemical called isobutyl nitrite. And we continued on with that for about 30 years. Then the European Union banned isobutyl nitrite on the basis of some very dodgy studies. So poppers manufacturers in Europe switched over to another chemical called isopropyl nitrite. And almost overnight, we started seeing those cases of vision loss. So we're pretty confident that isobutyl nitrite, we know it has some risks, but it's generally very safe. But isopropyl nitrite, which did become available in Australia as well, that's the one that we wanted to get banned. That's the one that we recommend that everyone avoid, especially if you're buying from overseas. From the user perspective, there is no difference. Very few people understand those differences. And so um, that also leads to um, misunderstanding. Like some people will consider all amyl dangerous um, because they've heard of vision loss stories um, or they'll consider all amyl um, totally safe because um, they've experienced it in a, in, a, in a good way. Mm. Uh, you said that the proposed ban on poppers was part of the war on drugs, the war on pleasure, and the war on bottoms. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, what did you mean by that? Well, I just mean these wars on the war on drugs is a failure. A war on pleasure will be a failure, and a war on bottoms will be a failure because if you come between a bottom and and, and their <laughs> bottom of ammo, you're definitely going to get some grief, um, which they did. And um, I just mean that because it it just doesn't make sense. It, 
then trying to ban these things doesn't make sense. They're not coming at it from a public health perspective. They're coming at it from from controlling. And obviously, as Daniel said, they don't understand it. And so, how how dare they rule on our on our cultural goods, our our, our thing animal which has impacted so many lives and so many communities in such a positive way how dare they control it um, without understanding and so um, yeah if you just explain to someone that um, banning something only puts it underground and then if it goes underground that's when different chemicals can come into play that's when dodgy goods can go out there and that's when you have negative health outcomes Mm -hmm. and then people might bring up the example of um, there have been cases of people um, digesting an entire bottle and then passing away. And um, people bring that up. And I'm like, well, do you know how you combat that sort of thing? Public health. Um, public health information. You actually educate the community and then that, that doesn't happen. You don't ban the substance and stuff that from happening. You educate people mm-hmm. and enable that, allow them to access these sorts of things um, in, in a legitimate and safe way. And so that's what we were fighting for. We were fighting for the right to access it safely. What was the outcome of this, this campaign and all of this advocacy work? Um, well, <laughs> shall I do the technical and then you can do the, the cultural? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So uh, we pushed for isopropyl nitrite, the dangerous one, to be put on Schedule 9 or 10, and we got that. We asked them to put the other poppers on Schedule 3, which is drugs that you can get after a short and very embarrassing conversation with a pharmacist. And they went with putting amyl nitrite on Schedule 3 and leaving the other ones on Schedule 4 where you can get them with a prescription after a short and potentially embarrassing conversation with a GP. So what that meant was, in theory, amyl nitrite became legal in February this year. In practice, however, if you want to sell something in a pharmacy, you have to go through a quality and safety accreditation process. That's really expensive so far. None of the manufacturers have been willing to go through that. So we're still in this weird situation where you can buy illegally from uh, overseas or an Australian supplier online, um, or you can go to your GP, get a prescription, and then buy it from an overseas supplier the same way that we access PrEP. So the same personal importation scheme where you get that overseas supplier to put the prescription in the package. So if it does get stopped by border force, then they go, okay, this is legit. So we didn't end up with a ban, but we didn't end up with a particularly workable legal situation either. Yeah, and that was... Considering the alternative was a ban, we were over the moon. Um, I was really, really excited by that because we were looking at a ban um, and that that would have been a terrible, terrible outcome. And so through um, all of our efforts, we got the Schedule 3 and Schedule 4 listing. But as Daniel said, that doesn't help a lot of people um, if you live outside of the gay bubbles of the capital cities, it'll be extraordinarily uncomfortable and difficult. You know, if your uncle is the pharmacist, how are you going to explain... And you're in the closet, how are you going to explain to them? 
Um, but I mean, that's we haven't even got to that point because we're not going to see poppers mm. in pharmacies for a very long time, if ever, because they've put put up all these barriers. You know, there are already existing barriers on how um, you can get these sorts of products into into pharmacies. Um, but then, of course, there's the online option. Um, but my favourite outcome from it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel, but I'm pretty sure um, Australia is the first place in the world um, where the top medical authority has acknowledged the therapeutic benefits of poppers. And so in their ruling, they said they acknowledged and endorsed our, the use of poppers um, for bottoms. And so for the bottoms of Australia, that was sort of a thank you, you've, you've heard us, you've seen us, and you acknowledge us. Mm. And so that gives us a really great foot in the door for any ongoing discussions or arguments around it. You know, there are some, some creases to iron out in the process. GPs need to learn... Um, need to be educated on how to prescribe poppers. Um, there have been some hiccups with that. Um, some doctors are really on the forefront, and so it'd be really great if there was greater education for GPs to be able to prescribe it, just to make the process simpler and less embarrassing and, and um, help people access poppers, because in this country we do have a right to access poppers, and I okay. think it's, um, that's a really wonderful thing to be able to say. What would you say to a GP if uh, you were interested in lobotomy for the first time? Um, you would have a simple and frank discussion. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, it's a wonderful thing that you're about to go through. <laughs> um, and if you want to be able to access poppers, you ask them, um, I want to be able to, uh, I'd like a prescription for poppers, or also known as AML. Um, could you please help me with that? And... Uh, like the response at the moment will be, oh, I'm not sure how to do that. And so um, you can go in with a bit of research on your own. There are resources resources out there that can help you figure out how to prescribe it. Yeah, so I run a small website called rinseandrepeat.info and if you visit the website, we have information about poppers, how to obtain them safely and legally. And so arm yourself with your own information and go in there and respectfully offer it to the GP um, and then um, yeah, grab your prescription. If your GP is not willing to do that, um, find a GP that will, find a GP that respects your sexuality and your, and your wants. Um, you know, it's been acknowledged that this is a therapeutic good and so um, you have every, every reason to ask for the, for the right to access it through your GP. Um, yeah, there's nothing awkward or weird about it, and it might be take a little hiccup in trying to get it done, but um, it's definitely doable. Mm. I, I think activists like Steve really led the way with prep in giving people the skills to have conversations with GPs who, in some cases, were outright opposed to prep, and in other cases, just were not kind of across the details and needed to be supported in that way. So um, if you take a printout of the TTH decision, if you prepare yourself with information before you go in, then, uh, and you have that conversation in that polite and respectful way, then you are likely to be able to access poppers 
And if you can't, show up on one of the prep groups, let people know, and we will share strategies for how you can approach that. Speaking of legalities, there are ongoing concerns about policing over this sort of thing. Um, I'm currently helping someone who was arrested um, for possession of poppets. Um, they didn't have a prescription. And so um, this person was having to spend thousands of dollars and potentially a large fine um, just simply for having poppers. And so when I say yes, we do have the right to access poppers here, there is still that red area mm. that, and police are targeting queer people for their poppers use. Yeah. Um, and so that is, that's still happening even after this ruling. Yeah. Um, and so I'm still really, you know, the police are not getting on board with this. Often they'll drop a poppers charge. Um, if there's a drug charge where, say, other drugs are involved and they've found poppers on you, they'll often drop that charge. Um, but I found this one particular case I'm helping out on was this, the, the sole charge was for possession of poppies. Mm. And, and I think that's disgusting. Yeah. And we know that police will front up at the lines for dance parties and uh, put people through sniffer dogs and, and so forth. So we know that if you have poppers on you without a prescription, then they will use that as a way of making up their targets for arrests for drug offences. So the really simple suggestion there is do have that conversation with your GP so you can get a prescription. Take a photo of the prescription and then just have it on your phone when you show up for those parties. The regulation of poppers has been described as a win for sensible drug policy in Australia. Do you think it could affect future decisions around regulating substances uh, that are used more for pleasure enhancing than strictly therapeutic purposes? Definitely. So already we're seeing a really well-funded campaign by led by an organisation called Mind Medicine Australia. And they have an interest in the legalisation of psychedelics. So that's substances like magic mushrooms, psilocybin, and they are conducting research to demonstrate that this substance and the experience that it enables people to have can be beneficial for the treatment of trauma and also for relieving existential angst at the end of life. So if you have a terminal illness and you're really struggling to face that, then it could be helpful for that. Um, and they're taking the same strategy that we used. It's if you can demonstrate a benefit then you can have a substance treated more like a medicine than a dangerous drug. So we are seeing already, um, not necessarily caused by this advocacy, but this advocacy fits into a bigger picture of trying to come up with better ways of regulating drugs that acknowledges the benefits of their use and the fact that communities have their own ability to manage the potential harms of that side. about how to access poppers, you can go to the website rinseandrepeat.info, which is linked in the podcast description. This has been the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast. 
To stay up to date with the latest information on sexual health, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.